right, so this is our second, second lesson, and uh, Live in the Light is our title here. I want to start off by saying this, uh, this is, today we're going to talk about the key that unlocks joy in our life, the key that unlocks joy. Let me start with this. There was a, there's a well-known Christian writer this week. This is a couple things that just really grieved me. Before I talk about joy, I've got to talk about the grieving. There's a well-known Christian writer, and uh, I think he's a professor at Moody Bible Institute. This week came out and said, I am no longer a Christian. He wrote about that and wanted to declare it to the world. It's amazing, they always want to declare it. But... I'm no longer a quick Christian, but something else I saw this week, that there was a, a very popular pastor and his son, who's probably, the son's probably in his 30s, but this son of this famous pastor is now a TikTok sensation. TikTok is, you know, social media, uh, but he's on there and he's become a huge sensation for mocking Christianity. And he does it in a very, uh, very creative way. And so many people who are trying to deconstruct their Christian beliefs are just wrapped up into what he's saying. Oh, my. It's been such a grieving thing to my heart this week to see both of those things. And, and just, you know, you keep hearing stories like this and it hurts your heart. Amen. These guys, both of them, are very knowledgeable. They know a lot. They know a lot about the Bible. They know a lot about the Word. And I, I don't know them. I've never sat down with them and talked with them. But I know that often those who walk away from the Lord never really, really fell in love with Jesus, Amen. the person. Jesus, the person. Why? Why would someone leave if they're in love and joyful in Jesus? Why would you leave? They enjoyed, I think these guys and guys similar to this, they enjoy the belief system for a while. They enjoy some of uh, what Christianity offers uh, that is very, very beneficial to people's lives. And there's things in Christianity that made them feel good. But Christianity is not about a belief system. It's about a person. Creeds can be great, but Christianity is not about a creed. The church is great, uh, but Christianity is not just about church. The, uh, the Bible, what would we do without the Bible? It's key to our life, but Christianity is not about the Bible. Christianity is about joining in union with a living person. It's about a relationship with Jesus. It's about a person, not a thing. And this is what we have to get through our heads. And if we're really, truly going to unlock joy in our heart, if we're truly going to be the Christians God wants us to be, you can separate. And this is, by the way, this is the uniqueness of Christianity above all other religions. You can separate the leader of every religion from their religion and still keep their religion intact. You separate Muhammad from Islam and you still have Islam. You separate Joseph Smith from Mormonism and you still have Mormonism because you have their book. But if you separate Christ from Christianity, 
You have nothing. And the reason is because we are Christians because Jesus died. And Jesus rose again from the dead. And, he, and without those things, we have nothing. And so what we're talking about and what we're even doing today, why you, we came to church, why you got in your car, got dressed up, came to church this morning, is about a person. That's why you're here. It's about a person. We're here to worship a person. It's not a thing. So this is the main point that John is bringing to the surface in the first few verses of 1 John. And, and you can see how this message that he's launching into, that he starts with, would totally undermine the message of the Gnostics and the false teachers. We talked about them last week. The things that they're saying, the, the false teaching that they're bringing into the church. This concept that gee, it's about a person and not about a thing is what cuts through all of that garbage and gets to the heart of the matter. And it would always bring believers back to the main thing. And as somebody has said, and it's still true, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. <laughs> In life, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And that is, about, that is that Christianity is about a person, not a thing. Now, John writes this, as we're about to launch into it here, he writes this, again, as a loving grandfather in the faith. But also something very important, and that is that he is an authoritative apostle who is hand-chosen by Jesus himself to deliver this message to you, to me, and to every believer. The truths in this letter that we're about to look at, these, in these next few verses, literally have the power to transform a person's life. Did you know a sentence can change a life? A sentence. A sentence that God gives. Uh, for example, John 3.16 is a sentence. And if we take that to heart, it can change and transform a life. So let's read this. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 1. Here's where he begins. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. Now, here's what I'd like to do real quick. If you have your Bibles and you're looking at them, I'm going to read all four verses here, the first four verses, and then we're going to come back to this first verse. So let me start in verse 2 now. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Or, excuse me, uh, which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. Verse 3, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. So the first thing we see here is that the, the Word of Life experienced. The Word of Life experienced. If you want to write that in your notes, you can mark that down. The Word of Life experienced. And this is that verse. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, which our hands have handled of the word of life. Now this verse says, that which was from the beginning. What is he talking about? Well, he's talking about Genesis 1.1. And, then, and also he's talking about what he himself, John, the Apostle John, wrote in John 1.1. In the beginning, God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. What John is saying here, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard. He's saying the very God of creation 
stepped into that creation and we saw him, we heard him, we touched him. Now remember, John is showing us that in contrast to the Gnostics. The Gnostics were teaching uh, that, uh, there was, that Jesus did not have a real body. But John is saying, my teaching, what I'm about to give you, what I'm about to write to you, the doctrine I'm going to pass on to you, is based on something real and tangible, something we saw, something we heard, something we touched. He actually experienced Jesus with natural senses, not just his imagination. It's like the difference between writing a novel and writing a biography. I was thinking about that. Both require a lot of work. If you're going to sit down and write a novel or if you're going to sit down and write a biography, it's both going to require a lot of work. A novel requires you to sit and come up with characters, a plot, a big finish. It takes a lot of imagination. A biography, though, is a completely different set of uh, duties. You have to, it requires that you sit and remember. Remember what you know about a person. Remember what you've studied about a person. And then with words, you try to convey what you have seen, what you have heard and felt. That's why it's good to read a biography written by a wife. <laughs> Because no man, no one knows a man like his wife. Amen. And for example, Hudson Taylor's wife wrote a biography about him. That's a great biography to read. Who knows that man more than his wife? John is saying here in this verse, I'm, and in this first few verses, I am writing a biography here about a real person as opposed to those Gnostics over there who are coming up with a fictional novel out of thin air. They're writing something, but they're just totally doing whatever they think in their brains. I'm doing, I'm talking about something I heard, saw, felt. And he gives four actual ways that he perceived the word of life. First of all, he said that which we have heard. I heard the word of life. In other words, John heard the Lord speak parables. He heard the Lord preach to crowds. He heard uh, the Lord witness to individuals one-on-one. He heard Jesus confound the Pharisees. And he heard Jesus teach the disciples around campfires. Not only did John hear, but he says, I saw, I have seen, we have seen with our eyes. And by the way, he throws in the plural we, talking about not just him, but other the other apostles. We have seen him we've seen with our eyes notice he specifically says with our eyes meaning this was real this was physical not i'm not talking here just a spiritual eyes i'm talking about our physical eyes we saw jesus perform miracles we saw jesus transfigured we saw him resurrected from the dead with our eyes we we saw him ascend to heaven with our eyes But I also think John is saying that he saw Jesus do human things also. Again, remember, the the Gnostics are saying Jesus didn't really have a human body. The spirit is spiritual. It's perfect. But the human body is evil. Matter is evil. And so Jesus, it was just a figment of our imagination. The, The body of Jesus wasn't real. It was just a phantom image. And John is saying, I saw him do human things. I saw him eat. 
You know, I saw with my eyes the things that Jesus did. He was a real person. I saw a human Jesus and I saw a God Jesus. And then he says, I looked upon. I've heard, we have seen with our eyes and we have looked upon. Now, this, this is different than seen with our eyes. It means to look upon means to look on with a long searching gaze. It's the same word as the word beheld in John chapter 1, verse 14. When John said, we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We beheld, we had a long searching gaze. We looked upon, we stared upon. Now that, this phrase goes beyond just physical sight into spiritual understanding. See, some people might say, well, no wonder John loved Jesus and trusted the Lord and had such a strong faith. Well, he was blessed. He got to see with his eyes Jesus do all this stuff. I might have more faith too if I saw it with my eyes. Yes, those disciples and those apostles physically saw with their eyes. But that's not what made the apostles who they were. Because listen to this, there were many people who saw Jesus with their eyes and never believed. There were many people who saw Jesus do miracles and yet still crucified him. It was the spiritual nearness that made these apostles who they were. It was the gaze. It was the beholding. It was the spiritual drawing in. It was their commitment to Christ as their Savior and Lord. It was an all-out just putting their whole heart on the line and saying, Jesus, we believe all. We, we believe everything you say, and we're all in on this. And it's the same today. That's why people can, it's, whether you see with your eyes or not, we all can be completely all in on Jesus and see him. Someone has said this, the look saves. The gaze sanctifies. I like that. The look saves, the gaze sanctifies. We need to have a spiritual gaze on the Savior. And then he says, our hands have handled. I wonder when John was writing this and God was having him write this, if he was thinking about that moment that he was in the room when Thomas came and touched the the nail prints in Jesus' hands. We touched we handled, our hands have handled the prints of the nails in the hands of Jesus. Of course, John, the Bible says that John touched Jesus himself. It says he laid upon Jesus' breast. Jesus, or John was close enough with his ears to hear the heartbeat of Jesus. And the title he uses here is the word of life. We touched him. We saw Jesus. We heard him. We gazed upon him. And we, uh, we handled him. Remember, in his, in John has used this title, the word of life, before. John chapter 1 and verse 1. This is 1 John 1.1. 1, 1. But now we're going to go to the gospel of John 1.1. 1, 1. And he said, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. Why is Jesus called the word? On this point, I want to ask you to just listen real carefully here. On this point... I like what Warren Wearsby said. Why does Jesus Christ have this name, the Word? Because Christ is to us what our words are to others. Our words reveal to others just what we think and how we feel. Christ reveals to us the mind and heart of God. 
He is the living means of communication between God and man. To know Jesus is to know God. So John is saying in both of these verses, both in John 1.1 and 1 John 1.1, that Jesus is the living communication between God and man. And Jesus is God himself. He was, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we find out in John 1.14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. And so Jesus is the Word. He's the Word of life. Now, John goes on to clarify here in 1 John chapter 1, in this parenthetical statement next, that the, and he goes on to explain the Word of life. So this is the Word of life explained now. Verse 2, for the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us, or made clear unto us. In other words, the whole, mess- the whole Christian message of eternal life, which was always in the heart and the mind of the Father, was made vividly clear to us, in the person and work of Christ. I'll say that one more time. The whole Christian message of eternal life, which was always in the heart of the Father, was made vividly clear to us, or manifested to us, in the person and work of Christ. But this verse also shows us the chain of truth. So follow with me if you can here. John says, We have seen it and bear witness and show unto you. We've seen it, We bear witness and we show unto you. Now the word show there refers to someone who has received a commission or authority from a superior to share a message. He has been given the authority to be able to share some word with you. It's like a a general passing down uh, a message down to his, uh, the lower ranking officer to, to, to carry the message out. And so in other words, what John is saying is, we the apostles, John, Peter, Paul, etc., we were the ones, we we have seen it. We're the witnesses. And we're the ones who have been commissioned to share this, to show it to you. We've been hand-chosen by God to be the very first carriers of this message of eternal life. They would see it with their eyes. They would see Jesus. They would see Jesus do everything. They would see Jesus crucified. They would see Jesus rise from the dead. We would give witness of it. We would write about it. And then we would show it to everybody. All future Christians would then follow in the doctrine and teaching of the apostles, the eyewitnesses. So this was the transmission of truth. This This is the chain of truth. Jesus lives it. Jesus preaches it, Jesus does miracles, Jesus dies, then Jesus rises from the dead. The apostles take everything they've witnessed, and they are given authority to write scripture, to proclaim it to the world, and then we all, uh, we all get saved and be a part of this great family, this truth that God has sent. What John is saying is, I did not invent a religion. I did not come up with this on my own, like those Gnostics over there. I am an eyewitness turned into an authorized publisher. That's all I am. I have seen it. 
I bear witness to it and I show it and I've been authorized to do so. And what am I showing? I'm showing eternal life to every single person. He also states that this truth was with the Father, with the Father from the beginning. And now it's just being manifested to the apostles in their time. And that message, again, that's being manifested is eternal life. What is eternal life? And eternal life is a new kind of life that begins in the present and continues forever. It's a new kind of life that God gives somebody, that God implants in in a person's life, in their heart, that begins at at a moment, the moment you get saved, and then it continues forever. It's a gift of God, the Bible tells us. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. When someone puts their faith in Jesus Christ, God gives them this gift. Remember what Jesus said about eternal life. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John fourteen six. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now life, as we see in John 3.16, John 14.6, here in 1 John 1.1, 1, 1, life, the word life, Zoe, is a major theme in John's gospel. We'll talk a little more about that later. And we're going to see it often. But God wants each person to know that they currently possess eternal life. It is very plain from these verses, and John wants to make it as clear as he can to every believer. God does not want you to live this life without knowing for sure that you possess eternal life. This is why Jesus said, I am the way. This is why he said, if you you believe in me, you have everlasting life. And this is where it all begins. You have to know who you belong to. There's a story about a college student who returned from, to the campus after going home after to, to be a part of a family funeral. When he got back to school, his grades started to go down. His counselor started to notice his grades going down, and he thought maybe the death of his grandmother had affected him, and maybe just over time things would get better, but they didn't. Finally, one day, the counselor was talking to the boy, and she was saying, um, what's going on? And he explained that while I was home, you know, I happened to look in my grandmother's Bible, and there I looked at our family record and something I never knew. I was adopted. I'm an adopted son. I never knew that. He said, I don't know who I belong to. I don't know where I came from. You know, before we move on to other things in the Christian life, we need to have this settled. Who do you belong to? Who do you belong to? We need to have the assurance of our salvation. We need to know that we truly possess eternal life. That's God, God didn't want anybody going through this world without knowing that they have eternal life and who they belong to. If we don't get that to begin with, we're just spinning our wheels. 
And John wrote this letter to help people get that question settled in their heart. And there's this wonderful byproduct then that comes. As John says, we've seen it, we have heard it, we have shown it unto you. This is eternal life that was with the Father. And I'm delivering it to people. It's eternal life and God wants you to have it. But there's a byproduct of it. And it, this is the key then, that this eternal life is the key that unlocks the joy in our heart. This byproduct that comes from knowing you have eternal life. And this is the word of life expressed now. It is fellowship. Fellowship. 1 John 1, 3, That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that you may also have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. The moment that a person accepts this gift of eternal life, there's a whole lot of things that take place. <laughs> a lot. And one of the most special and wonderful things that take place is you get a brand new family. The moment you accept Jesus as your Savior, you get a brand new family. You get a father in Jesus, in God. And you get a whole bunch of other believers as your family members. This word, fellowship, Greek koinonia, has a wonderful meaning. In Greek, it simply just means to have in common. And the Greeks would use that word for friendship or business deals or even marriage. But in the Bible, in the New Testament, it has a much deeper meaning. It's more like being one in spirit with somebody. See, in, his, in, a na- in our natural state, man has nothing in common with God. We're born, we're born in sin. And as we get older, we're just lost in our sin. We have zero in common with a holy God. But then Jesus came. He took on a human body. In that body, He took on the sins of the world. And because He did that, the way is open for God to forgive us and to bring us into His family. And when we trust in Jesus Christ, 2 Peter chapter 1 says you become a partaker of the divine nature. Partaker of the divine nature. The word partaker is the, comes from the same Greek word as fellowship. There is a union. In other words, this, this is not just a shared cause of why you and I are here today. That's not what Christianity is. It's not just a shared cause. This is a shared spiritual DNA. We are one in spirit. In fact, the Bible says you become the child of God. The child of God. That's an important phrase. It's not just a partnership. It's mutual life and love of the people that you're one in spirit, who are one in spirit. It's a bond that has no comparison. Let me just tell everybody, you are, in fe- you are now, when you become a believer, you are in fellowship with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. It's a family affair that goes deep and, and it's real. But more than that, you get that earthly family, with, not just with God, but earthly family right here. You know, this is why Christian is, Christians are often closer to each other than their own physical family. Have you ever noticed that? You come to church, you're around believers, and some of the believers that you know are, are even closer to you than your own physical family. It's not just because you belong to the same club, 
or you have some hobbies that you do in common. No, it's because there's a spiritual union that has taken place. And it's indescribable. When you go on a mission trip and to another part of the world and you meet other believers, it is incredible. You don't speak their language. You don't know anything about their culture. But automatically, automatically, it's like you're meeting friends that you haven't seen in years. It's almost like you already know them. We've been friends a long time. It's good to see you again. You've never met them once. And this happens in every country, no matter the culture, uh, whether the culture is a more reserved culture or a more outgoing culture, there is still something when you meet a Christian, there is just a bond that you cannot describe. They're just family members who don't speak your language. But here's the key, and John is setting this whole thing up now. If you don't have right beliefs about Christ, you cannot have this fellowship. If you don't believe what I've been showing you, if you don't believe the gospel, if you haven't accepted this eternal life, if you haven't accepted the word of life, what I've seen, what we've heard, what we've delivered to you, if you don't accept those things, you cannot have this sweet fellowship. If you run off, leave the church, join the Gnostics because you think you found a new way of thinking, you will break fellowship. If you run off into habitual sin, you lose fellowship. You don't lose sonship, meaning you're still a child of God, but you will break that fellowship. And there, that bond, just you will not feel it. It will not be there. And this is where all this really leads to, and that is the word of life enjoyed. And John says here in verse 4, These things we write unto you, that your joy may be full. I'm writing all of this to you, so that your joy will be full. Don't ever let it be said that God doesn't want people to have joy. He does. He just wants them to have legitimate joy. He wants them to have real joy. Someone has said that fellowship is Christ's answer to the loneliness of life. Joy is His answer to the emptiness and the hollowness of life. Amen. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This ultimate joy that John's talking about comes through the word of life. It comes through keeping fellowship with Jesus Christ. Joy, Robert Rainey said, joy is the flag which is flown from the castle of the heart when the king is in residence there. Basically, you know, sin is the cause of unhappiness that overwhelms people today. Sin promises joy. Sin promises joy, but it always produces sorrow. The pleasures of sin are temporary. They're only for a brief moment. But God's pleasures last eternally. And the life that is real produces a joy that is real. A life that is eternal life, uh, founded in the word of life, which is Jesus, is a, it becomes then... Uh, uh, a real joy in our life, not some limp substitute. You know, Karl Marx, he said, the first requisite for the people's happiness is the abolition of religion. And the Apostle John says, and these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. 
Faith in Jesus Christ, in other words, gives you a joy that cannot be duplicated by the world. Who are you going to believe? Karl Marx or the Apostle John? I'm going to end with this. This third century, there was a man named Cyprian. And he, as he was anticipating his death, I'm going to show you the last words that he wrote to his friend. Here they are. He said, it's a bad, bad world. But I have discovered in the midst of it a quiet and holy people who have learned a great secret. They have found a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of our sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. They are masters of their souls. They have overcome the world. These people are the Christians, and I am one of them. I want to ask these people that have, you know, left the faith. I'm no longer a Christian. Did you ever find joy in Jesus Christ? The person? Did you ever find joy in the word of life? This is what we need to make sure we do. Find joy in the person of Jesus Christ. George Mueller said, every morning when I read my Bible, I don't stop reading until I'm joyful in Jesus. That's when I know I can put my Bible down. I read until I'm joyful in Jesus. True joy is a person, not a thing. True joy is in a person, not a thing. Lord, we try.